Hey Kirti, I have a question for you. Unless it's about what's better, DC or Marvel? Sure, go ahead. Great. Let me ask you a different question then. So suppose there is a milkshakes brand and their sales are decreasing. What would you do in this regard? Hmm, sounds interesting. Uh, my first move will definitely be to analyze its competitors. Maybe they have priced it too high? Great start. So now suppose what if there are no competitors? What would you do next? Oh, this is starting to get more difficult than I anticipated. Maybe their milkshakes are not tasty? What if I tell you that taste is no longer a concern? Then either it's too cold or too hot. Are you talking about milkshakes right now or me? Oh, milkshakes, dude. Cool. What if even the temperature is no longer a concern? Calling Elon Musk? You don't need to do that. I'm here for it. By the way, how did you get his number? I'll tell you if you give me a hint. Sure. What if I told you that instead of focusing on the milkshake for a second, you shift your focus to the customer's experience while buying a milkshake? Oh, I see. We need to first understand why our users buy milkshakes in the first place. Got it. Yups. That's exactly what we need to do. It does not matter how sweet or cold the milkshake is. And Gerald Burstey was the first one to realize this when he was hired by McDonald's when their milkshake sales were dropping. Oh, so it was McDonald's this whole time. This seems pretty interesting now. Yes, it was. In fact, to my surprise, when Gerald completed his research, he found out that customers brought milkshakes to make their commutes more interesting. They wanted something to hold in their free hand while they head out for work. I think then he must have suggested making milkshakes thicker so they last long. Am I right? Yes, you are. He also suggested adding tiny fruit chunks to certain shakes and setting up a different counter for milkshakes so that customers coming only for milkshakes don't have to wait in the line. UX is really important after all. For sure it is. That's fine this episode we have on board with us Sajan Tikare from VMware. Sit back, relax and fasten your seatbelts as we dive deep into the world of design. A fanatical designer with a keen interest in mountaineering. We are very excited to welcome Sajan Tikare from VMware. A developer turned designer, this is going to be a really insightful conversation. Welcome to 9 Degrees, exploring new angles. Hey Sajan, welcome to 9 Degrees. It's great having you on the show. How have you been these days? Awesome man, thanks for having me here. It's This is something new I'm, that I'm doing and I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. So let's start this episode with a quote from one of my favorite books. Relying upon experience from a single domain is not limiting, it can be disastrous. This is a quote from Range. A book about why being a jack of all trades is better than a master of one. What's your take on this and which one would you prefer? So I would always say that, uh, you know, in the industry, in the working, any industry, be it design or anything, uh, jack of all trades is something that is looked out for uh, any team or any structure that, uh, you know, develops a lot of uh, applications and products. It's almost like you are able to have a conversation with anyone on the floor, but still you are able to provide value in whatever your major uh, segment is that way. Okay, got it. So when people usually do start their careers, right, especially with UX, they are expected to, you know, wear a lot of hats. 
and you are a UX designer who also knows how to code. So how has coding helped you in your career so far? Oh man, so uh, in fact, design was actually introduced me through code. Uh, it actually did not begin with like, okay, I'm going to be doing a lot of interaction design. Uh, the kind of exposure that I've had is mostly code and uh, I was kind of inclined towards the visual aspect of code. So in a way, uh, I wanted to create something that I could see. So that led me to front-end development. Yeah. Uh, and from there, I tried to understand like, who is the person who actually makes these designs that I'm developing itself. So in a way, the background from which I come from, it's more like I'm exposed to something uh, towards the end of the line. And I found myself towards uh, understanding how the initial uh, segment happens. So in one way, I would say that I, I, I would say I started from the top of the ladder, like developing the application and then got to a point where I'm designing the application. Now I'm definitely at a point where I'm researching about the application and the markets uh, uh, as well. So in a way, it helped me whatever learnings that I have uh, from the beginning that I came in. Uh, it mostly helps me having a conversation with somebody on the floor uh, when I'm working uh, in order to understand and empathize with these guys a little bit better. I would always say that uh, in order to empathize, you really need to dig a little bit deeper into the domain of that person, especially the people that you're working with, be it business or be it uh, development or design that way. So it helped you in collaborating with other teams, right? Absolutely. And it still does. Yeah, that's that's great. So how was your transition from development to design and what's your take on formal design education? Wow. Uh, so formal design education is actually not what I kind of expected when I got in. As I said, uh, I kind of went in with a digital experience background that, okay, this is what is uh, going to be with respect to my, uh, you know, career. But the way formal design education kind of exposes you to different aspects and mind it, you really need to be open to the fact that this, uh, you know, open nature, you need to absorb all of it. Now, I agree that some, uh, some of us always go in with like a critical mindset that yes, this is what I'm here to do. This is what I'm going to do. But having like an open mindset is what adds value to you in your entire life. Uh, this Let's say if I chose the path of like a non-formal education, I try to learn on my own. I would have worked in like a silo of digital experience design. And today I definitely know that, okay, these are the applications of design. These are the methodologies of design and all those factors. But the moment we stepped in inside like a formal des uh, design education, we never were introduced to, let's say design, uh, design applications like Figma or XD or other SolidWorks. We started, in fact, from the sole basic of researching uh, what exactly you're trying to make, how exactly you're trying to add value. And uh, I would say like this kind of experience and exposure, I don't know if I would have got it if I would have sat at home and tried to learn about design. Because I was in the particular place and at a particular time, I was exposed to designing for, you know, autistic people. I was forced to design for somebody from a low-income group uh, trying to make a living selling parathas on the street. Yeah. All these factors come in. Yeah, yeah, got it. So when UX designers are coming from a lot of different backgrounds, right? And uh, people coming from design background are less than people coming from different ba other backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what we can focus on right here. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So you also interned with Hike as a UX researcher, particularly in ethnography. What did you learn from this unique experience? So ethnography, if I can uh, elaborate on a little bit, it's basically getting into the shoes of the user and trying to relive that, uh, relive and understand that user's uh, motive and understanding throughout the day. So in in the perspective of learnings that I have had, it's it's mostly that in college or in education, uh, we kind of learn about how how it is actually applied. Like we learn theory a lot about it but when it comes to practicality the fact that you need to wing it at times you need to really understand that sometimes your research might not go according to plan and that planning that that you go with for this particular research and ethnography that plays a major important role now we always uh, go with like a very crude plan especially for a research or an interview you have a script and such that you want to research upon uh, along with your user but sometimes this might not play out and where it helps is basically the planning that you have the biggest learning that hike in fact gave me shout out to Soumya Mishra she's a researcher uh, today uh, working in Delhi she was the manager and mentor so the way we concentrated on planning a particular research itself that was something immense over there i mean no research was conducted without like a full robust plan plan a plan b as well as like a complete understanding of who our users are what exactly value do we want from these guys to a point that these users were recruited uh, in fact understanding the core offering that they might be giving us if they did not find value the team did not find value in these guys we used to reject let's say this user might not fulfill our criteria so a very very core uh, you know understanding of there was how do you in fact plan uh, a research okay yeah that's that was a really great answer for sure so you interned with microsoft too and specifically work on their office products so how will you describe those six months and how did that experience help you in becoming a better designer this thing I would like to answer by saying that today as designers we are kind of often exposed to a lot of different realms of design like uh, people come in with the fact that okay I'm gonna be a visual designer I'm gonna be a researcher I'm gonna be only a UX designer this goes for a toss when uh, you're at a company like Microsoft I agree that there are separate uh, roles for people doing these particular uh, uh, you know tasks assigned but doing this internship at Microsoft, I kind of realized with the team that I work for, you had to play the role of all these three uh, personas in your own internship as well. So it's almost like you're doing, you're wearing hats, uh, different hats at different points of time and learning from all these factors. And uh, This was kind of encouraged by the team over there that any design that you do involves research, design and validation. It's not that a researcher only does the research, a designer only does the design, and a tester only, a usability engineer only does the usability part of it. It's it's like a complete setup that you as a designer, the title that you would be given is like a designer or a UX designer would be responsible for all factors that add value to your product. Uh, one extra thing that I completely adore about that team was the fact that the team in fact uh, innovated on so many grounds with respect to different interaction media that uh, you know not a lot of people are able to do uh, in what i mean by that is there is a format that you're trying to solve problems for today 
but then working with like a uh, insanely talented team you might not be solving problems for today but you're also anticipating the problems of tomorrow and trying to solve them in innovative ways uh, you know before the problems arrive itself yeah so microsoft has that kind of an innovation kind of environment which i was able to uh, experience for the 6 months so those boundaries were non existent right when absolutely. different design fields absolutely yeah yeah so firms like ibm these days are investing a lot in design thinking why do you think it has gained such a popularity these days for that i think you might want to go to why uh, you know uh, design is actually being offered uh, across the you know, product uh, ecosystem so yeah. i always say that okay design and technology go side by side i would say that since the last couple of uh, decades design was taking a back seat while technology was uh, tra- you know going up going up and up design was actually trying to catch up uh, trying to catch up i would say that today design has all caught up to a to a point that it provides value more than technology itself um so this is what most organizations are uh, you know uh, learning about that unless your product provides a value from design uh, the technology aspect of it fails completely and yeah. uh, they are very afraid of it the organizations that are working towards these uh, you know futuristic solutions and solving problems in major markets of the world they are looking at capturing these markets in the most uh, efficient way companies like ibm as you said they have understood this need for the market and they are trying trying to provide this value uh, for these people design thinking is a very very starting aspect that let's say uh, you're going to venture out into solving the problem the right way and they are doing a really good job about it yeah they are now welcoming this new approach and it's great that these firms are doing this i would say it's more out of uh, driven out of fear that if they don't yeah then they'll be left behind because yeah, yeah. right now the consumer setup in the world is almost like you find value in experience then i will invest in your product if value or experience is not provided then i might take a second option on your product yes yes yeah got it so how can we drive design from a technology first environment and how do you tackle complex enterprise systems that's a wonderful question in fact uh, technology driven design or dri- uh, design driven technology i i don't have the answer to this but definitely it's uh, something that is driven by somebody internally uh, you might be working in a tech driven uh, organization like myself but uh, you always find value as to where technology offering stop and the design offerings begin Yeah. Uh, especially in a complex environment uh, such as an enterprise domain domain offering by vmware uh, the value is provided by a customer's journey we often times forget that customers there that are using our products they are not in fact using our product they are going through an entire complex journey uh, the entire concept behind adding design in this uh, particular segment is basically trying to understand that okay this is not a objective element that the customer comes uses our products it's a very very subjective environment that the customer comes experiences something and goes away the fact that you are able to bring back that customer for the second time that's questionable you you might yeah. win you might fail over that so answering your second part of the question that is how do you drive value in such a complex environment it's it's actually understanding that it's not a complex environment it's just 
focusing on the user and their journey and trying to see from their uh, point of view what exactly is happening so kind Stepping of like so kind of like embracing the complexity that's present absolutely embrace the user and their views first and then drive the technology that is uh, behind it great at the end of the day you find value and the business increases when your customer returns to use your product and also evangelizes within their group that okay this product adds value to their life cycle uh, out of all the products that the customer might use why is it that your product must be put put out there and why is it that your product is something that the customer should be using if you are able to find that value then you are able to solve any uh, complex system that was a really great explanation for sure so as we move ahead in in the future what's your take on incorporating ux in virtual reality because in the future vr would li- require a lot of design elements which would be different from each other mm-hmm. so uh definitely there are a lot of positives and the side effects of vr i would not comment on both these areas i ca- i kind of tend to be a very diplomatic person regarding this okay. uh, the positives you will always find when you are applying it to the right domain to the right set of people uh you might have heard about uh, you know mark zuckerberg and their innovation towards metaverse uh, yeah. which kind of takes a direction that okay we are trying to create a virtual office environment agreed uh, office environment is like a very very good uh, place to uh, you know offer that value especially in the given world where there is a sort of craving for people to meet other people to you know collaborate with other people design thrives especially in such collaboration um, so they are trying to find value in those aspects um, if you take that same metaverse concept yeah. and um, as i said put it in a college environment the the first question that uh, you know might you might want to answer is that is this the right user that you are targeting yes it might be because of the covid environment that uh, you know existed let's take away the covid perspective of it what happens if, what happens to that metaverse who is trying to find value in that metaverse um when i was thinking about this uh, i kind of find value in somebody who is uh, who has like a mobility issue um or somebody out of out of seniority in age they are unable to venture out into the world now what is what if you are able to find value and happiness uh to this use case that by making people meet in a virtual environment uh for not official work related stuff but maybe drive a little bit delight and happiness for this paraplegic motor driven uh, motor impaired even even uh, aged parents of yours I myself have my mother at home who craves meeting her sisters but is unable but was unable since the last one two years because of the covid lockdowns so if i were able to provide a virtual environment where she is able to see an avatar of my sister of my aunt and uh, gossip that drives happiness in her life yeah that that does if i were to use it i might see it as like a gimmick in the professional setting hey uh, i am more function over form i would want to work in like work faster and easier than you know see somebody's avatar in front of me that would not drive value to my work in a professional setting is in so, yeah yeah in an office environment also uh, with new folks entering they require interactions with the seniors the seniors can cope up with this thing but if new freshers are joining they would find it difficult to cope up with this i think 
that's a very good uh, use case as well i mean i'm sure so many freshers who have joined their organizations they crave for that okay presence of their manager around them yeah that uh, it's it's not about the presence of somebody it's about like somebody being accessible to you for any learning or mentorship yeah. you uh, i mean i was able, i was glad enough to have experienced that little bit uh, that we were able to interact and we were able to learn from each other it's not just the manager it's peer to peer interaction as well you the feeling of you walking over to your colleagues table and say put your hand on their on their shoulder and say hey i'm stuck on this can you help me out that is something that is unavailable right now yeah and that's very difficult to replace as Absolutely. far as i think yes yes yeah then my next question was on metaverses only so these days as a metaverses is very popular kind of like a virtual world which you told us and we could call it a new step in human computer interaction so do you view this as a threat to a society or an advantage um uh, threat at particular points the advantage at particular points i'm sorry i'm very diplomatic at this <laughs> okay yeah advantages i just explained to you yeah. if it is targeted to to the right set of people maybe it drives a lot of happiness and vision and value to these guys uh they might be a returning customer to come uh, come and experience this uh, uh metaverse uh, multiple times uh it's just that it shouldn't get like uh, boring after a particular point like okay uh, you drive you find value in the first time when you do this uh, let's say back in 2014 when there was an innovation that hike invented the nudge feature there was value out of it we used to me and my friends used to sit and nudge each other for hours long that was the only value that was driven out of it the can you explain feature uh, nudge is basically uh, basically pinging somebody that you don't have to tell or speak anything you're basically coming and poking somebody facebook had poke okay. if you remember uh, yeah, yeah. hike had nudge and uh, back in yesteryear in the 2000s uh, it began with yahoo messenger having something called a buzz feature if somebody is inactive for a long time you send a buzz that's what you uh, Uh, they used to call it it's an adapted form uh, today there might be like uh, to- today we might all be verbal in nature we say hey on whatsapp but uh, if you have that starting trouble on hike you always send out like a 100000 nudges yeah. let the person know that hey i'm waiting for your response yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the fact that hike was able to uh, you know formulate something without making it very irritating that's something fascinating like you keep you come and personally come and keep poking somebody you might irritate that person yeah how do you make that delightful rather than uh, you know irritating yeah how do you make it, it funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so my next question is that a technology was meant to assist users and not distract them don't you think that it has been sidetracked from its goal and according to you what can designers do in this Oh yeah, uh, technology has definitely sidetracked a lot of people. I mean, we are unaware by the fact how much time, screen time that we are using. Um, designers play an interesting role over here. Yeah. Now, the background that which designers uh, come with, uh, they are kind of diverse. Um, if you would ask any, uh, you know, um, UX designer, they would always say that what kind of, uh, you know, strategies that they apply onto their design. there might be a designer who is driving visual uh, you know aesthetic purpose on their design but there all there's also some designer who is driving behavior change on to their designs so the value that is that a designer can be uh, adding in kind of like a technology uh, uh, kind of setting 
it's more to do with like yours you need to be exposed to the fact that what drives value and what you know uh, ham, uh, i would say hinders the value for a user yeah today we might say hey uh, you know let's send out uh, a notification to our user to drive more engagement but in the larger ecosystem do you realize how many notifications that a particular person might be receiving uh best example would be for anyone listening to this they might go to their parents android or ios device and just scroll up how many notifications that they don't at all see in their phone yeah i myself go to their phone and get overwhelmed by the number of notifications that you know they never look at it yeah so one small decision by let's say swiggy or zomato that let's send out a notification that might be in like a bundle of hundreds of notifications this one decision that let's send out a notification for lunch might be adding like removing value in somebody's life itself so yeah. it's not just looking at your value of your product it's more like you're understanding the entire ecosystem of a user kind of understanding like what exactly am i helping the user with and then you always take your right decisions as a designer you always you know to be conscious i i'm sure that the business will always drive hey we need to run this marketing campaign swiggy might come in and say we need to drive sales during lunch time zomato is killing us like ipo and all that yeah. <laughs> but still we always need to be very uh, as designers as to what uh, that drives or what that hinders our users experience uh, especially in technology i would say um I had like a brief exposure to this term called non-intrusive design or non-obtrusive design. Okay. Uh, this basically talks about uh, you know design existing uh, I would say invisibly in somebody's life, right? So um, okay. I think I'm not sure who said this but uh, they said design should good design is invisible. Uh, was it Peter Rams? It might be Peter Rams. So Peter Rams said the good design is invisible. but uh, today in technology point of view we are not making it visible we want to show people our designs so yeah. how do you solve that is something really important often times during deliverables we forget uh, what value or uh, hinders hindrances we provide our user but <laughs> i would say uh, print these uh, good design principles and all these and stick it in front of your workspace yeah. always be constantly reminded of it <laughs> yes yes to not be sidetracked absolutely for sure yeah so i would like to go on on a tangent from here now so twitter recently changed its font and what are your thoughts on the same first of all and don't you think that changing a font is a very risky thing to do um yes it might be a very risky thing to do um but I would like to try to understand why they are trying to drive that uh, change itself. Uh I kind of relate to a font change as well as an icon change as equally risky thing to do. Uh definitely there are like uh, pros uh, doing their job with respect to font changes or a logo logo changing. Um both of them drive uh, you know a presence in the market. That hey uh, Twitter was like okay we are they're dealing with a lot of uh, negative news around banning of trump all that uh, all that system that is coming in but uh, changing font might be something like a di- diversive effect uh, that they want to be providing so that might be like a market change yeah. but internally um, whatever change that is made onto a platform 
इट इज़ नेवर बीन एक्सेप्टेड डायरेक्टली बी इट इंस्टाग्राम्स लोगो बी इट विथ फॉन्ट और इवन आई बी एम्स एवर चेंजिंग लोगो आई बी एम टू ऑल दिस सो आई वुड से दिस फॉन्ट चेंजिंग एंड लोगो चेंजिंग it's always going to be an adaptive uh, experience you will not, you will hate it at first but then you will end up uh, because we can't do anything so we'll have to adapt it at some point i'm sure there is scientific reason behind every decision that is taken it's yeah. just that we as consumers might not be exposed to that decision at all it it is not directly like okay today we wake up and they change the font i'm sure there is a hell lot of research that went in into twitter's font at first glance it definitely looks a little bit cramped and you know you read the articles that critique this thing but uh, yeah that's the first response that you get towards twitter's font the good effects of it i'm not aware of it yet i do not follow typographies that well but yeah it it might be out of uh, some value that the team that the multinational team uh, team saw <laughs> yeah exactly so sat there and they took that decision i trust that uh, designer who took that decision the yeah, ikea also did the similar thing in 2009 they switched from futura to verdana uh-huh. and i think now also they've changed their font in 2019 yeah. so so yeah. do you realize that okay 2009 what happened maybe 2029 you will be like hey twitter do you remember twitter changing its font <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> many users don't even notice this if it's not yes. highlighted in the news or in that stuff Yep. they would not notice that the font has been changed so i i i uh, was exposed to a fact that okay typography also deals with a lot of cognitive load uh, of the user uh, a serif font might always have like a larger cognitive load because the amount of pixel information that you are processing in your brain with like an added serif uh, it increases the time that you need to read it uh, especially in areas that okay you have a left aligned uh, you know paragraph versus a center aligned versus a right aligned uh, the fact that you are able to reduce cognitive load with even a font and your alignment of type that uh, decision is definitely taken by type designers and i yeah. i know for a fact that it is because a lot of people i have interacted with uh, do take in these decisions yes yes so uh, i would like to say one thing that don't you think that right aligned fonts should be banned <laughs> yes absolutely banned i would say even uh, uh, in places central centrally aligned the fonts also but it definitely yeah. adds value uh, uh, in poems and uh, i would say uh, yes, creative yes. content <laughs> but right line don't does not have any function they irritate a lot <laughs> yes absolutely yeah. i i want i actually think about it like what purpose did a right aligned font give to somebody <laughs> i think uh, there are some languages that are written from uh, right to left right so for those purposes i think right line fonts came into place yes yeah and that could be one of the reasons behind it so what are your thoughts on the future of ux and are you worried or excited about where it's heading right now oh absolutely not worried it's kind of exciting to be associated with this domain uh, especially for the fact that uh, this is a domain that deals with people yeah. uh it do, deals with a lot of social heuristics and that is something that will never change uh technology is always changing there is always a technology that is more efficient there is more uh you know uh usable for people but people at the core of it the study of people itself will never change yeah. uh the domain of ux is kind of uh, you know overlook that hey i'll make a good and usable user interface and i've achieved the experience that uh, i need to be driving the user 
this is a major fault uh, by a lot of people that they get into this domain especially people who are uh, getting introduced to this domain as, uh, through a lot of uh, you know social media means yeah. a ui does not translate to a complete ux uh, yes. there is a lot of thought and research that you need to be driving over it and stressing upon the fact that the research and uh, you know concept generation and analyzing all these designs that is more of the, like the user experience that you're trying to drive at the end result in the future uh, technology might change the yeah. mode of communication uh, that might change you might be designing for 2d interfaces tomorrow you'll be designing for communicative voice interfaces yes. and, uh, or even virtual environments like the metaverse but at the end a human behaves in a particular way and if you're able to understand uh, how the human behaves you're able to survive in the industry yeah uh, because the user always stays user always stays the user behavior might change over time uh, a clear example of this was how, is how our parents use our phones they hold their phone in one hand and use their tip of their index finger to yeah. use their phone whereas we we might be using with single handed gestures uh, a lot of our ios devices and uh, android devices they have moved on to gestures and even further down the line uh, somebody born even later they use their devices in much much more efficient manners so the behavior of the person interacting with a particular device that might change and update over time but the person itself that might not change human is a human yeah sure so how do you classify something as good design uh, i think i covered this it's mainly that good design is something that is able to solve a problem yeah. and is able to do that in the most invisible format you don't understand that it exists uh, good design works when it is aesthetic in certain areas let's say a website made by louis vuitton uh, might need to be aesthetic yeah. uh, but their function the drive value driv- value drive that they are able to provide over there is that they are may- able to make you look good Uh, but then compare that to amazon their experience is driven by a lot of uh, you know function if you're able to you know place an order in the most easiest manner that's where i find value so uh, good design is like a battle between function over form and form over function if you're able to drive that where does function have like a precedence where does form have a precedence that's like a fine line you need to walk the you know uh, middle lane walk the line between these two yeah and find value wherever is the best so good design gets unnoticed every time absolutely yeah yeah so this was a really interesting com- conversation for sure and now it's time for rapid fire so oh, there will be nine <laughs> there will be nine questions and you have to answer each question in 10 seconds mm-hmm. so are you ready yep so let's begin If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be right now? I am torn apart between Japan and Sweden. Nice. Japan for its technology uh, exposure and how they deal with their, uh, you know, everyday life cycle and Stockholm, Sweden, especially for uh, the fact that they are very close to mountains and very close to natural wonders that way. Nice. So if a movie was made on your life, what would its genre be? it would definitely be romance just like my <laughs> name <laughs> i romanticize uh, something to an extent that i i end up cringing about it <laughs> <laughs> that's nice 
So if what I, would you yeah. if I were to find a good design somewhere I will romanticize and I will blast people about it like you need to use this design <laughs> <laughs> Why are you ignoring yeah. this Yes absolutely yeah. I'll I'll go to an extent that I'll force people to look at it and understand it and make sure they use it somewhere <laughs> Yeah it's nice So what did you want to be when you were young Um uh, for this question I think my class teacher in fifth standard would say he always wanted to become an artist Oh. Uh I think I took on to the same domain <laughs> partially yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you came at it after a long period of time but after yeah a very long period of time I need to go inform her that hey I'm in the same domain <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so what's your favorite font uh I think that would be something that is driving function in the largest e-commerce website in the world uh okay. Amazon the font that they use is called Amazon Ember um i loved the legibility of that font and the readability of it so much to an extent that i used that font uh, in my thesis i rebelled oh. against the professor saying that i'm not going to use the default calibri font uh, i'm going to be using my own uh, custom font over the thesis that's nice that's my favorite font Amazon. so what's your yeah what's your favorite childhood memory favorite childhood memory I don't know if I have the memory enough to remember <laughs> all my childhood memories. Uh yeah. but yeah, I think that would have been something uh when there was like an art competition um uh, in the local ISKCON temple in Bangalore. Oh nice. Uh, I had made something uh, that I didn't know that would won the win the competition itself. So I still remember the painting. I've lost the painting, the original of that painting. but it was basically arjun and uh, uh, arjuna and uh, shri krishna on the chariot yeah. so i did find a lot of shri krishnas in my life uh, to guide me wherever that i'm going okay. and i still keep them at a very high pedestal in my life like i believe that uh, mentorship and at the right stage right time is very very important that way by the way my name is also keshav it means <laughs> <laughs> krishna <laughs> yeah So, Android or iOS? Oh, I've always been an Android. I most recently changed to iOS because of the ecosystem. I fell into that trap. <laughs> yeah, and now you can't get out of it. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> uh, most likely, uh, no. But I believe that Android is uh, something that I would go to at any point of time. Okay. Uh, especially because I come from the generation that used to mod our ROMs. Yeah. Uh, basically, buy an old phone. and mod the rom to make it look very very visually stunning uh, okay. so that i come from that generation which use custom mods from uh, xda and xda developers and stuff yeah so you used to root the phone absolutely yeah the rooting phone uh, generation <laughs> it ex- it used to expire its warranty though <laughs> yeah do it yeah. Uh, you don't care <laughs> yeah i remember the first uh, root that i did was on my micromax um that was like i did it one day after my first year warranty expired <laughs> i was careful enough like ab kya like i don't have anything to lose now we can experiment yes and i did experiment to a point that that phone died like <laughs> died so badly <laughs> that's so funny so uh, fiction or non fiction um fiction oh, nice. it gives a lot of value uh, to imagination yeah it sparks creativity absolutely i mean look at um look at avatar uh, if you observed their interfaces in that avatar mothership or headquarters the movie yeah. avatar yeah yeah you might notice that how they were interacting with the components around them it used to be a curved screen but it is not exactly a physical screen but they were still oh. 
driving value uh, towards it. What were they touching? I mean, I still don't understand it. <laughs> they were touching in air. <laughs> kind of. Projection. So, which so one, people. which one word describes you the best? Um, I think personal life, professional life, explorer is something that I would like to describe okay. myself. I go by Mark Twain's quote: "Explore, dream, dream, discover." Um, nice. So that's something uh, that I closely relate to. Uh, having been like an avid mountaineer, I kind of do that in my regular life as well. And even in uh, this kind of domain, uh, the domain of design, if Figma releases the f- some update, I'm the first person anywhere to go and try out this update. Yeah. Uh, I'm not the person who sits and waits for other people to, you know, tell me, "Hey, this." Is I, I usually am the person who is like, hey, this is an update. You need to use this. I told you, right? I romanticize something very hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you looking forward to climbing Mount Everest? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, I was about to climb it in 2020. Um, one of my friend gave up on me, so I switched <laughs> my plans. Um, maybe not climb it. I had plans of going to Everest Base Camp. Okay. Uh, I instant went to Kanchenjunga Base Camp. Uh, did the Goechala trip in Sikkim, West Sikkim. Yeah. So I was able to do that uh, this year. So maybe next year, couple uh, couple of months ahead, couple of years ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you are an early bird or night owl? Man, <laughs> both. <laughs> <laughs> How many hours do you sleep then? When when need arises, you don't sleep. <laughs> So it's like uh, if I'm passionate about something, let's say if I'm going cycling without my uh, with my friends, I definitely will be able to wake up at three or four a.m. Also, if it's like a road trip that I'm that we are taking, I might not even sleep tonight. Uh, so, but at the end, if we are partying throughout the night, yes, definitely I'll stay awake. Versatility. <laughs> <laughs> this this is what value the most major value that design college drives no sleep. Yeah. <laughs> you how to be awake at all times uh-huh. and forget about sleep yes that, that would be the tagline of the college <laughs> no sleep yes no sleep yeah. but still we'll teach you stuff <laughs> yeah so, i mean like, like yeah. our thesis was almost like straight nights without sleep i mean uh, we were driving hours and hours of work uh, from our studios and hardly used to get like one or two hours of power naps between the days just before my final thesis presentation i went took a power nap and came i was uh, i gave my ppt with like swollen eyes or something maybe <laughs> at a point after that yeah. sleep you were like you don't care like do deal with my design <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in retrospect it sounds really funny <laughs> <laughs> it is i mean you find humor in uh, some things that you do uh, you'll be able to tackle anything in life like let's say even if a lot of times designers get dejected that okay hey uh, your design will never be used because some business requirements change yeah. but um, the fact that you are able to find value that at least something came out of it if you're able to see that then you mature yourself as a designer yeah um, you cannot be dejected that okay always that hey i work like 6 months on this how can you reject my entire design maybe the design that you worked on uh, isn't driving the business value that it's supposed to be doing um, but always it changes a constant changes the only constant right the yeah. the transition that you're able to make that okay my design got rejected this is what's the new requirement 
come on let's solve for this that sort of attitude is something that uh, one needs to incorporate i inculcate within yourself uh, one easy way is to drive this to humor which i t- uh, i kind of tend to do a lot my friends hate me for it uh, yeah. maybe <laughs> but yeah something humorous i've tried to find in any aspect we are trying to find pun in everything there is a, a philosophical value behind every joke that you make <laughs> <laughs> the fact that how do you transition are you yeah. philosophical today or or are you stupid today mm. <laughs> that <laughs> that's really interesting so my friends wanted to ask you some questions so we'll take the first question from sankalp so if someone wants to be a ux designer in the future what advice do you have him have for him or her one advice one very very important advice designer does not mean that they are just creating value, uh, assets uh, okay. today a lot of designers end up uh seeing the market that hey a designer is one who makes screens or makes visuals trust me a designer uh, the value that a designer can provide on the board uh, that is taking the decisions for market innovation that is very very high value a market is being innovated with design as a very very core offering uh, making visuals is just an end, end product of it you never concentrate on just the asset production as uh, value out of it yeah. your asset might be a, a user flow a screen a poster a music video any of that but the thought behind it is something that is super important great so one of my friends another friend kartik wanted to ask you a question so when did you realize that this was something that you will do for the entire life I think it's it was after my first semester uh, at college. First semester was more more like hey what am, what the hell am I doing in my life? But uh, you were doing engineering right? First semester of master of design. Okay, of design. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so I came to a point that okay, I'm what am I doing in my life? I'm I'm here to explore. I don't have a lot of time in this college. Yeah. Uh, that is when I stopped you know uh, thinking about what I need to be doing rather than what can be done uh, in this time frame so yeah. most of the projects that i loved picking up was market innovation and technology innovation uh, i was able to explore maybe a little bit around fashion industry because of this as well as uh, uh, you know uh, voice interaction devices and stuff like that so yeah. um, so the learning that kind of drives is more on how you take on your bucket uh, the which domain that you want to innovate on which domain that you feel like okay this excites you yeah there was like a trigger when i started thinking hey uh, i'm designing for today whereas the problems are coming in from tomorrow uh, yeah. let's just move on that way yeah that was a really great explanation for sure yeah i i hope you find the jokes valuable over here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's the most Somebody valuable finds value out of it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bye oh, okay thank you so much for having me bye keshav thanks a lot for listening hope you all had a great time 9 degrees exploring new angles also we love to hear from you do drop us a review and follow us on instagram at the rate 9 degrees official and yeah do subscribe on spotify apple podcast or wherever you listen till then stay tuned cheers